0: Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. You know, last Friday, we talked about Good News Fridays, but kind of devoted it to Mother's Day. Today we have a little bit of aftermath of the mom factor with a couple of stories regarding just the role of mothers and daughters and moms and their sons and things that are, are definitely good news. When we think about uh, what we're gearing up for this weekend, of course, with the church being the church and Pentecost around the corner and you know the idea that we've got opportunities to celebrate our faith in Christ, uh, we do so knowing that the church, the bride of Christ, is waiting for uh, the return of her groom, that being our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So every time we get together, it is kind of like a mini bridal shower of sorts. But there's certainly, especially in the month of May, you know, we're still in the aftermath of Mother's Day this past Sunday. There's still a focus on the maternal right now in this season. And I couldn't help but notice, did you watch the coronation a couple of weeks ago? And had some thoughts on that that I wanted to share. And actually, uh, Dr. Uh, Sherry Dean Parmalee, a professor at Liberty University uh, echoes some of these same sentiments with regard to the coronation of King Charles, knowing that and you know that poor guy's been the brunt of so many jokes recently. <laughs> poor guy, I mean, think about it. Uh, his name is Prince. He's Charles. So of course there were the pictures. Charles finally in charge. Uh, the artist formerly known as Prince. You know that that whole bit. But one of them was, gosh, I'm 74 years old and biggest day of my life, I have to wear my mother's clothing, you know, because uh, not that she, they obviously wear different uh, uh, robes and have different crowns. But the, uh, or maybe they, I don't know if there's the main monarch crown and then the secondary one, I don't know. Um, Charles is now only the 40th reigning monarch to be crowned at the Central London Church, Going back to 1066, King William I was crowned there. <clears throat> Excuse me. And this is a, uh, I mean, it was kind of a huge deal. It was a very, very religious service in some ways. It was a very, very Christian service in some ways. But it was also, there was a lot of ceremony. You know I mean? It's something that uh, when I think about it, having had a couple of weeks to reflect on it, when I think about the, the coronation of Charles, there were a lot. I mean, there was one point where uh, Archbishop the the Archbishop of Canterbury Justin Welby handed Charles a scepter and an orb and whatever, and said, "This has been ordained by Jesus Christ." And I went, whoa, wait a minute. I mean, I, you know, I, I realize that God institutes governments and things of that nature, but the monarchy has a lot of symbolism. But it's not like they're running the House of Commons. I mean. It's amazing though, and when you look at the history, there were a lot of my Christian friends who were all over social media, this is so great, coronation, so much fun, we're sipping tea, we're watching. I couldn't help but wonder if maybe, just maybe, some of them might not be familiar with all of the history of the crown of England, and how as much as we want to deify the actions there, they really are rather despicable i mean the call i'm talking about the colonization part i mean lest we forget that one of the driving forces for a number of englanders and ukers if you will uh when england decided to colonize the united states as they had done in other parts of the world it was the colonies the original 13 that rose up against the crown and said we're declaring our independence Among other things, you know, when the Archbishop of Canterbury hands the new King of England a scepter and an orb and says, you know, this has been, this is to to show that you have rule over the entire world and et cetera, et cetera. I thought, wait a minute. I'm not sure that we would be so bold as to dub that uh, the Lord himself said, yeah, I want you to go into all the world and subdue them. I mean, if you look at all the, all the jewels on Charles's crown, it's pretty heavy-duty stuff. That it took place in Westminster Abbey, big deal. That there's a lot of religious symbolism. Not only is he the head of the crown of as King of England, he's also head of the Anglican Church, the Church of England. So there's a lot of religious symbolism that goes on in there as well. And yeah, I was tempted to dig through scripture and say, hey, I wonder if they're going to say, hey, a deacon should be head of his own household and know how to manage it. Well, well now, wait a minute. I mean, there was infidelity. and You do have that estranged son who lives in California and uh, estranged, not strange son. I think Harry's got his reasons for doing what he's doing and guy's going to live his life. But when King Charles uh, was, you know, merely a th- a thought, His mother, Queen Elizabeth II, at the age of 21, offered this vow. And this is a piece that we'll put up at TheBottomLineShow.com. Quote, I declare before you all that my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service and to the service of our great imperial family, to which we all belong. But I shall not have strength to carry out this resolution alone unless you join it in with me, as I now invite you to do. I know that your support will be unfailingly given. God help me to make good on my vow, and God bless all of you who are willing to share in it. Uh, Sherry Dean Parmalee then writes, this was a promise that Queen Elizabeth made and kept. By all accounts, she was a very strong Christian woman who, in the words of her people, never put a foot wrong. Toward the end of her life, she told many people she looked forward to the day when she could lay her crown at her Savior's feet, which is a beautiful illustration of, of course, what each of us will do. Would we crown him with many crowns? On September the 8th of last year, Queen Elizabeth went home to be with the Lord. But what about her son? Does he share that deep and abiding Christian faith? That's the question. According to Sherry Parmalee, Uh, King Charles will attempt to be many things to many people, and he leaves this in question. In his first speech as king, he committed himself to, quote, many cultures, many faiths, with a responsibility to the Church of England, in which my faith is so deeply rooted. Yet, to our knowledge, no one has ever heard Charles even utter a profession of personal faith in Jesus Christ. In the same speech at the coronation he said, quote, with unswerving devotion, I solemnly pledge myself throughout the remaining time God grants me to uphold the constitutional principles at the heart of our nation. Close to professing faith, but doesn't actually profess it. So where does King Charles stand on his faith? Last year, the king was asked, or the future king, I should say, was asked about his own faith, and he claimed to be a, quote, committed Anglican. He also stated he would defend other faiths. Now, you know what what that sounds like? It sounds more like an American president than an English king. Now, the Anglican service was very, very Protestant. It was, I mean, they very rightfully so, duly noted, and yet... This is a place where you saw a blessing from a Sikh, from a Hindu, from a Buddhist, Catholics and Protestants alike, a rabbi. I mean, there were all sorts of, it was very, very much across the board. But would Charles profess to be a man of Christian faith? Now, Charles is married to a woman called Camilla Parker Bowles. They knew from the time that they were very young. They were hoping that they could, in fact, be married. And eventually they were married in April of 2005. But when both of them were married to other people, they still maintained a love affair that went for decades and literally destroyed both of their marriages and has a negative impact on their children. But for the past 17 years, they have been devoted to one another. And for the most part, I mean, Queen Consort has kind of patched things up with the British press and the people. It's so interesting. A lot of people have said it looked like, to be honest with you, that Charles was more interested in seeing Camilla uh, crowned queen than him becoming king. One, and this is uh, Dr. Sher- uh, Sherry Dean Parmalee, Associate Professor of Communications at Liberty University, closes her piece with this. There's one deeply disturbing thought. Charles is asking people to pledge their allegiance to him. The oath, of course, is I, insert your name, do swear that I will be faithful and bear true allegiance to his majesty, King Charles, heirs and successors of his as well. According to the law, so help me God. When Queen Elizabeth gave her oath, she had her hand on the Bible and she pledged to serve her people. This is the first time that a monarch wanted his people to swear their allegiance to him. As for his heirs and successors, of course, that's Prince William and then eventually Prince Harry. Well, they say God saved the king, but in the UK right now, he just might need it. We'll put that article up at the bottomlineshow.com and you can have at it. As we continue, just to kind of put things in proper biblical perspective, what does it mean to be a wife? What does it mean to be a mom? What does it mean to be a daughter in scripture? Last year, Shannon Bream put out an outstanding book called The Mothers and the Daughters of the Bible Speak, Lessons of Faith, from nine biblical families. And since we're focusing on the royal family this hour, why not take a look at what Shannon has to offer again? We're going to revisit that conversation on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Well, special guest joining me today here on The Bottom Line Show, uh, one of the most trusted voices in all of American uh, politics and reporting and this, that, and the other thing. It's Shannon Bream, who is the author of the number one New York Times bestselling book, The Women of the Bible Speak. She's the anchor of Fox News at Night, chief legal correspondent for Fox News Channel, and has a brand new book out on this very same theme of mothers and daughters and their stories in terms of faith and family. The new book is called The Mothers and Daughters of the Bible Speaks, Lessons on Faith from Nine Biblical Families. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Shannon Bream, welcome back to The Bottom Line Show.
1: Thank you for having me. Great to be with you again.
0: What a great conversational topic to have, especially when you see survey after survey talking about the importance of family and faith and the role that family plays in faith. But especially when we see about so many fractured relationships and families where mothers and daughters aren't necessarily getting along, per se, the mm-hmm. role of faith and family with mothers who speak into their daughters' lives is huge. And I think you've captured it brilliantly in this brand new book.
1: Thank you so much. I mean, yes, no mother-daughter relationship is going to be perfect. I can say that as much as I adore my mom and have her on the highest pedestal, sure. uh, even I was a little bit of a stinker at times. Um, really? But she is still, and yes, yes, trust me, just call her and she'll tell you. <laughs> um, but even in what was like a really good mother-daughter relationship, you know, we had our differences, but the one thing that really always was a bond with us was our faith. And I think that throughout the book, you can see that um, from mothers and daughters who were related by blood, others who came together through family or through, um, you know, just kind of a chosen family situation. We think about Naomi and Ruth and Mm -hmm. that mother and daughter-in-law who went through so much, so much tragedy, but stuck together and found great comfort in their relationship with each other and in their mutual relationship with God and their faith. Um, And we think about spiritual mothers and daughters. I included Elizabeth and Mary as well, Mm -hmm. because you know, both of them found them found themselves with these miraculous, uh, unexpected pregnancies. Elizabeth yeah. far after anybody thought she would have a baby, and Mary way before probably she was planning to have a baby. Um, but I love that God put them in that season together, and they walked through their pregnancies with John the Baptist and with Jesus, of course. So um, I think that those relationships uh, don't have to be by blood. We can we can find those around us too—the spiritual mentors and mothers in our lives.
0: I'm so glad you brought up the mentoring part and that kind of. Uh, uh, Mother and daughter in spirit as well as in blood relationships because we see that more and more where there is kind of a fracture of sorts and and there's not the really great mother daughter relationship and and there's so much emphasis in the culture right now on either making those relationships right or just cutting them off altogether because they're toxic. Uh, Talk about some of these relationships. There are nine of them. You mentioned a couple of them here in -hmm. the brand new book, "The Mothers and Daughters of the Bible Speak." Uh, Talk about. Obviously, there's there. You have to go to Moses because that relationship is so very very strong between his sister and his mother, uh, kind of give us an, a, a basic overview of like what that chapter looks like, how you lay that out in the book, because I would imagine there are a lot of women who are saying, this sounds like a great Bible study book to work through.
1: Yeah, and it is, uh, because we do include study questions I wrote up for each relationship that you can work through. Um, That's one of the things I heard from so many people from the first book was that, um, they enjoy doing it as a book group or a Bible study or on their own. I love study questions, just to try to really help me root in what the lesson is, what God was doing, what it means. So we have those again. And we do start the book with Jochebed and Miriam, the mother and the sister of Moses. And I got to remind people, if you're familiar at all with the story, to remember that these were Hebrew women who were slaves. I mean, this was not a free people. They were oppressed by the Egyptians so much so that Pharaoh was intimidated by them because they were growing in number. And he said, listen, from now on, babies that are born to these women, if they're male, they've got to be thrown into the Nile, just killed. And I think about, I can't imagine being pregnant and having this horrendous worry about what your child was going to be and whether you would be asked to give them up and kill them, essentially. So we're told in the Scripture when Moses is born to Jacobet that, She, You know, his parents see something special and different in him, and you almost wonder if it was sort of a a divine or spiritual destiny, but she had bravery to make the one choice she could kind of make in that situation that was against um, her oppressors was to, I'm going to have this baby, I'm going to keep him, and I'm going to raise him, and when it gets too too late to hide him anymore, and he was crying and growing, she made a little baby-pitched arc for him, almost a tiny little mini-arc, and sent him out into the Nile River, the very place he was supposed to go to die. And he is discovered by Pharaoh's daughter, who hears him and has compassion on this crying baby. And little Miriam had gone along, his big sister, and she's kind of hiding out there. She steps up as this little slave girl who, um, you know, would have been worth nothing to these people and put herself in danger and says, Hey, if you need help raising him, I know a Hebrew woman who could nurse him and is able to run back with baby Moses to her mother and say, You know, we've got him now for a couple more years while you raise and wean him before he goes off to his destiny.'"
0: It's amazing to hear this story again because of the fact that there is there are so many things that had to line up, some things that had to work mm-hmm. perfectly. And when you mention the slavery aspect and whatever, the fact that these women encounter other women all of a sudden, it's a compassionate moment. Here's this poor baby, you know, and I'm going to take care of the baby. It has nothing to do with the fact that, well, you're a slave and that baby shouldn't be alive anyway. I got him. I got him. Here's another one, you know, that we could kill. I love how God uses these women with stories of compassion. Talking with Shannon Bream today here on The Bottom Line about her brand new book, The Mothers and Daughters of the Bible Speak, Lessons on Faith from Nine Biblical Families. We have a link for the book up at the thebottomlineshow.com. You mentioned Naomi and Ruth earlier, and they were dealing with a whole different set of circumstances than uh, Miriam's and jacobet were in terms of the slavery side now you're looking at women who are facing a patriarchal society and they're all mm-hmm. widows for crying out loud they're sitting saying what are we I supposed know. to do we don't really have any hope talk about why in the face of that adversity the mother-daughter relationship that the two of them had even though they aren't actually mother and daughter you know by blood why it's so important to understand
1: yeah, and, and to start out, Naomi had left her country and her people because of a great famine. So she was on the run, a stranger in a netherland. While she and her husband there are there, their sons married two women. And it sounds like it must have been a good, happy relationship. But right. then tragedy strikes because not only does Naomi lose her husband, both of her sons die. So in that time, to not have a male provider financially would immediately throw you almost certainly into a situation of poverty for most right. women and most families then. But you also had no physical protector. So here are these three women that have only each other. And Naomi argues with the younger women saying, go, you can start a new family. Even if I had a son right now, you <laughs> wouldn't wait 18 years and then have kids with him. I mean, right. go and start your new family. They did not want to leave her. They were tearful. Finally, Orpa, her one um, daughter-in-law, goes to start a new life. But Ruth refuses to leave her. And those words you so often hear in marriage ceremonies, you know, don't make me turn from you or leave you. Your God will be my God. Your God will be my people. That was Ruth to Naomi, and it really is a bigger pledge maybe than we realized when we first crossed over it, because she literally left her family, everything they believed, embraced a whole new country, new people, and new God, most importantly. So together, these two women do live on the fringes of poverty and of society. Um, until we see God intervene in their story, and this beautiful love story between Boaz and Ruth. And, you know, she winds up in the lineage of Jesus Christ. And it's just a beautiful story of being faithful and and protecting each other and choosing as women to bond together and make the best of your situation Um, when Ruth could have walked away and started a new life without Naomi.
0: Mm-hmm. And and quite frankly, I, I can hear the blame already starting to well up potentially. Ruth would have had a justifiable gripe. Hey, look, I married your sons and your sons are gone. I mean, it's bad enough that you're a mm-hmm. widow. But now, now, so, so what am I supposed to do? You know, I really don't have any hope. And the fact that she would place her faith and trust and say, well, okay, if your God is, you're trusting him i'm going to trust him too and that bond really shows us how the family of god really works not necessarily in blood but in covenant with god first and foremost and it's a it's a really really inspiring story shannon bream is my guest today here on the bottom line i'm roger marsh brand new book is called the mothers and daughters of the bible speak lessons on faith from nine biblical families we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com we only talk to shannon bream when our books are in the top 10 I'm just kidding. But (laughs) but it is. This one, I mean, today is launch day. And as we are having this conversation, it's number eight on Amazon. Does that encourage you, Shannon Bream, that there are so many people outside the faith even? Because I mean, I know it's not just all Christians who are buying this book. There are people who are saying, well, Shannon Bream, I recognize her from Fox News at night. I I trust her. You know, she seems like a a, a trustworthy person. And she's Mm -hmm. written about these biblical characters. Talk about the kind of feedback you get from your books when you write about biblical topics.
1: Yeah, I definitely hope that it will be people like me who grew up in church and grew up learning and knowing these stories. But gosh, I learned so much more about these women by digging in and researching them. I come away feeling like I know them personally. I hope everybody um, who picks up the book will feel that way and feel encouraged yes. by that. But, you know, to people who may say, listen, I don't know anything about the Bible, they may find it intimidating. They don't go to church or say, I'm going to pick up, you know, First Samuel and start reading. Um, instead, I hope that this book may be something where they look at it and, hey, this is a collection of stories I can understand and relate to these women. Then maybe through that, they will then um, be interested in pursuing God and learning more and picking up the Bible or um, talking to a friend or, you know, a pastor or checking out a church that would help them on that journey. Um, We, I gotta tell you, I don't think any of us had any idea how much these books would resonate with people. So when the first one came out last year, um, I think it, 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 in some ways it must have struck a chord in that I wrote it during the worst first part of the pandemic. Mm. I was so encouraged by it that, you know, the idea of suffering and uh, women um, being strong and brave and fighting through horrible circumstances, including widowhood and infer- infertility, financial ruin, physical problems, all of that, um, we could see how God was working through that, Be reassured by His promises and His goodness. And for some reason, I think people needed that message of hope and encouragement, and they found it in the book.
0: I think, well, it's a great one, and we'll put the link of For the Women of the Bible Speak, as well as the Mothers and Daughters of the Bible Speak, as well. Both of them by Shannon Bream from Fox News Channel. We've got links for both books, as I mentioned, up at thebottomlineshow.com. And more of this conversation on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. One of the greatest gifts that we can give to an expectant mother is the gift of the first picture she'll ever have of her son or daughter in the womb. That comes through an ultrasound. And our friends at Preborn have an opportunity for us to make more of these ultrasounds a reality. Every time you give a donation of $28 to Preborn, that means one more ultrasound can take place. But how about giving enough money for an ultrasound machine? The cost is $15,000. It's a sizable investment. But every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and last at least 10 years. Now take that cost $15,000 and divide that by 2500 Okay, now you begin to see how the cost for ultrasound goes down even more once we have more ultrasound machines to donate into preborn clinics. Make a donation right now to pre-born. It's completely tax-deductible, and every penny, every dollar you donate right now is going to the purchase of an ultrasound machine. 833-850-BABY is the number to call. 833-850-2229, or go to kbrightradio.com. That's K-B-R-I-T-E, radio.com. Click on the banner for preborn and make your best donation right now. $25, $50, $100, it all counts towards saving babies' lives. KBrightRadio.com. Hit the preborn banner right now. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Since we were talking about the royal family and talking about uh, all things family and family relations, a good idea for us to revisit a conversation I had last year with Fox News anchor Shannon Bream, the host of Fox News Sunday. Um, And the senior legal correspondent for the Fox News Channel. She released a book called The Mothers and the Daughters of the Bible Speak Lessons on Faith from Nine Biblical Families. The book came out last year, and we have a copy of this book to share with you. Uh, Doing it right now. 800 227 5278. 800 227 5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, the book by Shannon Bream. She's written three outstanding ones. The Love Stories of the Bible, Women of the Bible, and this is the Mothers and Daughters of the Bible Speak, talking about how God uses family dynamics and family relations to espouse his truth through uh, all sorts of examples that you will uh, gladly resonate with. We do have a copy of Shannon Bream's book to give away right now, and we're doing so when you give us a call, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, is the number to get you through to the bottom line. You know, it's interesting when you think about family dynamics, I think about uh, uh, the words of of the Apostle Luke, or in the Gospel of Luke, rather, not the Apostle Luke. And uh, in chapter 12, verses 51, 52, and 53, where Jesus says, Do you think I've come to bring peace on the earth? No, I tell you, I've not, but division. From now on, five in one household will be divided, three against two, and two against three. And you know, oftentimes, I've seen this happen before, where mom and dad are really strong Christians and the kids rebel. Or the kids are really strong Christians and mom and dad don't care or a husband and wife. I mean, we had Emilio Estevez on with us a couple weeks ago talking about how his dad was a very devout Catholic, or is a very devout Catholic, mom very devout Baptist, and he kind of lovingly but jokingly said regarding their relationship, how he described it was, yeah, my dad was a strong Catholic, my mom was a strong Baptist, and needless to say, we didn't go to a lot of mass services. (laughs) So just kind of put it that way. But one of the things I think Shannon Bream captures in her book, Mothers and Daughters of the Bible Speak, is that whole family dynamic and how it can be used to bring people closer to Christ. And that's why I love this book so much, and I hope you have a chance to get in on the drawing. We have one copy to give away. 800 227 800 227 227 5278 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line here on this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. More by conversation with Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream. Coming up next as the Bottom Line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives.
2: The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years? After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility.
0: Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Shannon Bream is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. You recognize the voice. You recognize the name as the host of Fox News at night. And may I do a Proverbs 27 and brag on you a little bit? I mean, you guys continually dominate the ratings with your news reporting, <laughs> uh, even, even in spite of the fact that it seems like pundits and people on the other side of the aisle uh, would, would want you to see you. Uh, fail what what does it do to your face shannon bream we're going to talk about more about her book the mothers and daughters of the bible speak in just a moment but i'm just curious i don't think we've ever had this part of the conversation before as a christian woman as a legal expert as someone who is reporting the news every night and is trusted i mean people are putting their trust in you that you're going to steer them the right way what's it like to take some of the criticisms and what is it like to know that god has you in this place for such a time as this
1: well, I count it a great privilege, but also responsibility. Um, as you mentioned to our viewers, as part of the news division, um, I'm the straight down the middle, um, you know, bringing you all sides of the story, letting you make up your own mind about it, and just getting you the facts. So I do feel a responsibility, my team does, to get that right, to be quick but accurate. And um, just to flesh things out for you so that you can decide, like I said, for yourself, how you feel about a particular issue. If you want to dig around and get more of the story, mm-hmm. um, we try to be there for you in that respect. And, yeah, I think being in the media, there are going to be people who I would say 95% of, or plus of what we hear is from people who are complimentary and are happy to be with us on this journey. Mm-hmm. And then you're certainly going to have critics who will say anything from attacks on your physical appearance to your work to anything else. And I think it just comes with the territory. I've gotten a much thicker skin, but more importantly, I know that this is all temporary. And sometimes I do make a mistake and it's up to me. I need to correct that and get it right. But some of the criticism is just um, driven by people who aren't interested in us, um, you know, as a news outlet, but but strictly as a target. And Mm. that's fine. I mean, that's, you know a free society has free speech, and I'm all for that. So you got to take the good with the bad in that respect. But you know what, it forces me to reset myself every day in God and His truth and the eternal view of things, because it's, believe me, you know, as a human being, it's easy to chase ratings and and approval and glory, and that's a dangerous dead end. So God will keep us humble, so let's not make Him need to do that.
0: I, I love that. And, and next thing you know, when something, someone says something and you're on stage at the Academy Awards trying to punch somebody out. So we, that's not going to happen with Shannon Breen. <laughs> it wraps this up very quickly. It does. but it does, And, and that, I'm glad <laughs> you brought that up. Well, the new book, The Mothers and Daughters of the Bible Speak, Lessons from on Faith from Nine Biblical Families, is just out today. And it's up at TheBottomLineShow.com. And, Janet, you and I were talking during the break about the fact that one of the things that you appreciate about what you've been doing in your research, digging deeper on these families, is the fact that oftentimes we see a book like this with a lovely color uh, cover rather it's it's presented nicely in a christian bookstore maybe online and there's a tendency to think okay well these guys and these women had it all together everything was perfect for them and if i could just follow their example my life's going to be perfect too and as we were discussing during the break nothing could be further from the truth because the bible is pretty messy i mean and that's putting it mildly in some cases some of these stories have some of a, a messy aspect to them too don't they
1: absolutely right and i take comfort in that because if you see some of the disastrous things that people have done—and again, this book is through the family lens, and primarily parents and, and kids—they um, make some bad decisions, and that's something we can all relate to. Um, if you know the Bible is the only perfect people, Jesus would be the only one in there. Uh, he and God and the Holy Spirit, and we're done. <laughs> but He uses human beings like us who sin, who fall, who need forgiveness, and need picked back up. Um, so I love that, that these stories are not all sanitized and perfect. These are families that have serious dysfunction. I mean, we we cover um Saul and his daughter Michael in the book. And so she's desperately in love with David, who you know, Saul views as a rival in many ways, but he sees a way to use his daughter. To a sort of a bargaining block or positioning block and marries her off to David, knowing how much she actually loves David. Meanwhile, Saul is trying to kill David repeatedly, his own son in law. So if you think you have it bad with your in laws i promise you you have nothing on what's going on in the bible so we can learn from the good and the faithful and the peaceful but i think there's so many lessons to be drawn from you know those who've done things wrong i don't think god would have included their stories if there wasn't an important lesson in every single one of them
0: I am so grateful to hear Shannon Bream make that statement because it does give us encouragement to know that there are some entangled entanglements in the Bible, and yet here we are as Christians and we can love God, we can follow his perfect way, and we can walk in the path of righteousness in a world that's filled with unrighteousness. The book, The Mothers and Daughters of the Bible Speak, Lessons on Faith from Nine Biblical Families is up at thebottomlineshow.com, authored by Shannon Bream, who's my guest today here on release day here on The Bottom Line Show. Was there any one of these... Pairings, And you mentioned uh, that, that you Saul and Michael. So there are obviously some other uh, family relationships in terms of fathers and daughters and mothers and sons that are in there. And I would imagine that next year we'll be talking about one of those as a whole book <laughs> as this series becomes more <laughs> successful. But was there anyone that you thought you knew as better than you did? And then as you started digging in, you went, wow, I did not realize how messy, unfortunate, tense, glorifying this relationship was.
1: You know what? I... I thought about – I thought I knew a lot about Bathsheba because, you know, in Sunday school, you have a little flannel graph. You learn, like, (laughs) she's taking a shower or bathing herself. David sees her. They get together. They have this baby, and there's enormous judgment because David piles bad decision upon bad decision, sin upon sin. Right. And I'd always sort of been taught that story in the context that that you know Bathsheba was this temptress and she knew what she was doing. But when you read the scripture, that's not what it says at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, David is very much the offender in this whole situation. But even going beyond that story, I forgot that Bathsheba is the mother of King Solomon. And mm-hmm. think about that because we see a lot more of their relationship later on. How she helps him ascend to the throne, and we know that when God asked Solomon what he wanted, instead of saying, you know, riches and fame and all of these kingdoms and things, he wanted wisdom. And God said, not only am I going to give you that, because that's what you asked for, but all those other things as well. I mean, so he was described as the most wise man and king, certainly, that Israel had had. So, Bathsheba did something right as a mother, and we see more of her relationship later on in the story with King Solomon, which is a part of the equation I'd forgotten. So I think we can look at Bathsheba as not this one-dimensional character that I sort of, you know, I had that impression of her even growing up studying the Bible and hearing the story. I just learned so much more about her and her mothering of King Solomon through this book.
0: It's interesting when you mention that, because oftentimes we do put the lens and we kind of leave Bathsheba in the bathtub basically. I mean, that's that's where yeah. she stays. And then she gets to get out and have a kid who isn't going to live. But if you look at Nathan's rebuke of David in that whole situation, mm-hmm. you see you, you she really is exonerated. You know, I mean, if she wasn't doing mm-hmm. anything to try to seduce him. David's supposed to be in the battlefield and he's the one who's playing hooky. And next thing you know, as you mentioned, bad decision upon bad decision. And yet here we are today having a, a healthier conversation about her, about uh, the the legacy that she left as a mother and how valuable it is to us today. Shannon, bring the author of The a brand new book called the mothers and daughters of the bible speak lessons on faith from nine biblical families we have a link for the book up at the bottom line show.com shannon we've got about 90 seconds left in our conversation together there's a woman right now maybe she's an adult daughter who's had kind of a tense relationship with her mom or maybe she's having a hard time with her own young daughters who are coming of age in a world that we uh, i know I had lunch with my son yesterday and he's uh, gen z and i'm a. Uh, borderline boomer Gen X, and there were some things (laughs) where we were both looking at each other going, wow, I don't really fully understand your world the way I thought I did. Talk about how a book like this can really bridge the gap between generations, especially between mothers and daughters or grandmothers and moms.
1: Mm -hmm. I think it's helpful, as I mentioned earlier, that uh, our our problems and our struggles over time are consistent. I mean, women in 2022 um, have those family uh, conflicts, They have infertility and widowhood and fleeing oppression, financial ruin and and physical challenges, all those things. I think when we look at these women over the centuries and see that they dealt with that and God was in it and present working through their suffering, often periods where it seemed like He wasn't around at all. There was silence, and they had to be patient. I mean, in every one of those situations, we see that God was there. And I think it reminds us that we have universal um, aches in our soul for things that come into our lives, whether we're a mom, a a grandma, a daughter, or if we're um, not a mom at all. I mean, I think that there, for many women, that is the ache. And we talk about infertility in these books, and And, um, you know, God's working through and speaking through those circumstances. So I think when we can see that these problems are consistent over time, um, hopefully it helps us to look at each other with some grace and with some mercy, knowing that, um, everybody has suffered in some way. And the last couple of years have certainly tried everybody on just about every level. Um, and everybody suffered some kind of loss. So if we can have that compassion for each other and realize that it's not wasted, I firmly believe that the darkest, most difficult parts of my life um, has been when I felt God's presence most clearly and have grown through that. Uh, not that any of us would choose that, and no, none of us would choose what we suffered the last couple At of all. years. Um, but I, I feel like these books hopefully will remind people that, that God is ever-present in that.
0: I love that. Such a beautiful and powerful sentiment, and I appreciate the uh, the transparency and the authenticity with which it was shared. Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the brand new book, The Mothers and Daughters of the Bible Speak, Lessons on Faith from Nine Biblical Families. The book is out today, and it's up at thebottomlineshow.com. Shannon, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for the book and for your time today here on The Bottom Line Show. Really appreciate you.
1: God bless you, Roger. Thank you.
0: Well, it's fun to revisit that conversation that I actually recorded last year with Shannon Bream when her book at the time, which is a brand new book called uh, The Mothers and the Di- Daughters of the Bible Speak, Lessons on Faith from Nine Biblical Families. There's a link for that book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And it has, uh, it, boy, this has a tremendous shelf life. We've got one to give away right now. 800 800 227 227 5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line you know there are about 80 billion products available for sale on amazon.com but when it comes to books when a new book comes out we always like the books that are in the doubles as we call them or the triples which means you know of every book that's out i think the highest we've had it was one of shannon's books when it first came out it was in the top 10 literally and you have to sell a lot of copies to stay in the top 100 or the top 200. As of right now, Shannon Bream's book from last year, The Mothers and Daughters of the Bible Speak, Lessons on Faith from Nine Biblical Families, is ranked number 617 on Amazon. It's still selling like crazy because Shannon's a great storyteller. She's a great Bible study leader. And perhaps more importantly, she has great topic, topical material like this one here. 800 um, 227 the number to get you through to the bottom line. As we continue, we were talking earlier about the coronation of King Charles from a couple weeks ago and how that uh, kind of, uh, you know, got us all asking the question, will he have the same faith in Christ that his mother did? There was a story out of the UK during that same time involving a, uh, well, a rather dramatic ordeal Um, That kind of led us to believe um, that God is still in action and he pays attention to all of us, whether you are the king of England or just a tourist who got stuck in the top of a church tower. We're going to take a look at that story coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of The Bottom Line show. I'm Roger Marsh, still taking your calls. We have one copy this hour to give away of Shannon Bream's book called The Mothers and Daughters of the Bible Speak lessons on faith from nine biblical families. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. I mentioned we have one copy, but you know how it is when you call the girls, uh, Teresa, Crystal, or if Joel is answering the phone too. Oftentimes, if you have that conversation with them, you know, we're we, we take your information. We contact everybody at the end of the half hour. Uh, one winner is selected, but, you know, we have other prizes here, too. And it is Good News Friday, you know. So, I mean, if you want – I'm not saying that you will necessarily, but if you ask really nice, I mean, they're they're great to work with. So that's all I can say about that. But <laughs> put it out there. Um, finishing up this hour with a story of good news back to the U.K., the question we asked at the start of the hour was, does the coronation of Charles now mean that the, uh, uh, the United Kingdom will have a Christian sitting on the throne? And I know you can look at the British history and say, well, now, wait a minute. I know Queen Elizabeth was a professing Christian. I know a lot of American Christians really love this woman, but come on. I mean, look at the history, look at the Nigeria, look at, the Congolese look at look at the imperialism heck look at the fact that the United States was formed the way we were formed under British rule and formed as colonies subject to the crown taxed you know out of our minds and then eventually the founding fathers said enough of this noise we are going to start our own nation and the United States of America were formed so no longer colonies but United States we are a constitutional republic and what was the opening lines. I mean, when we get to the Declaration of Independence. We believe that all we hold these truths to be self-evident, which is Jeff Foxworthy used to say, if you want to break that down into common language, that means anybody can figure that out. But we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable or unalienable rights, which among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. In other words, we as the American people are breaking from the crown. We're going to say, everybody who's here who wants to be part of this American experiment, here's the deal. We're going to treat you with dignity and respect unless we've enslaved you. That's a whole other conversation. Sorry about that. (laughs) Whoops. Uh, But nonetheless, it, it is kind of bizarre to me, the older I get, that we declared independence, but then when the Constitution was ratified, it was like, yeah, we're going to keep those people in servitude. But the framework was there for that eventually to be overturned and praise god for that but when you think about the the formation of the nation who else did that we said look we are not assuming these rights are rights because we said so or because a bunch of elites got together and said we're forming this country we have a common belief a common spirit if you will that says that we believe that what is going to keep this nation woven together knitted together is we the the fabric of our lives is our faith in god we believe that god gives these rights to people and we're just acknowledging that we don't believe that the crown says you get those that the government says that you get those and so it's interesting that queen elizabeth ruled as long as she did 70 plus years and did so with as a professing christian knowing that she had to uphold the duties and responsibilities of the crown and Maybe didn't do it as well as other times, but to the point where she was, you know, in her final days was saying, I can't wait to meet, you know, my Lord and Savior. Instead of wearing the crown here, I can't wait to blame my crown at his feet. And it, all, all I could say about that is it will be interesting to see, obviously, if she's there uh, <laughs> when, we're, when we're there and how many jewels are on the crown. I mean, it's going to be fascinating for all of us to see everybody. The good news is we're not going to be surprised when we get there because all we will know is all of our brothers and sisters in Christ. So if you're worrying right now about a family relative or a member or a friend or something like that, maybe even your spouse or one of your kids, as to whether or not you'll see them in heaven, the reality is if they are truly Christ followers, if they've been grafted into the body, then you will. And if not, I believe that when you get to heaven, you won't, what, what does Jesus say? Depart from me, I never knew you, past tense. You're not going to be, wor- oh darn, I'm so sad they're not here. There's no sadness like that in heaven. So anyway, will we get to meet the queen? Maybe, maybe not. But when it comes to King Charles's coronation, there was maybe a sign that the queen was still looking upon her subjects from on high during the coronation. This is an amazing story. At Propish, Probus Parish Church in Cornwall. Um, They had opened up their tower to visitors of King Charles III's coronation uh, during the first coronation service hosted at Westminster Abbey in 70 years. This tower actually is kind of a fun thing to look at. It's old school. It looks like something right out of a medieval whatever, but it also just happens to be the tallest tower, church tower anyway, in the UK. So there was a woman by the name of, uh, well, let's see, Do we have we identified her yet? Um, a woman was visiting the church, climbing the tower, in hoping to see some of the coronation service. But as she was climbing the tower, she had a health injury. She literally went into cardiac arrest climbing the tower. And so she fell ill while she was climbing. She needed assistance from multiple rescue teams. There were police, there were firefighters, cliff rescue teams, a Coast Guard helicopter. It literally took four hours to get her properly medically situated and then out of the tower and into hospital, as they would say. Um, It's interesting because um, Eleanor McCartney... Is the church warden's warden's wife, and she gave an interview to the Christian Post. Said that this is the first significant incident that she can recall, occurring during the tower being open. It's the first time an individual had to be evacuated from the roof. Basically, she got to the top of the stairs. She was short of breath, and she was able to at least sit down before she ultimately collapsed. The woman's friend and others who were on the roof started to try to resuscitate her before they realized that they were going to need something more. So Mrs. McCartney was there, and she actually took over and provided the aid until the paramedics arrived. Now, the church updated the public about the health emergency um, in a Facebook post shortly after the coronation, and the church said, we're very, very grateful for... um, the, uh, the, the response of everyone. And, uh, they told people who wanted to come by and look and say, Hey, I know this might be a curiosity, but you may want to bypass this for just a little while until we figure this all out. Um, by the way, you might be wondering what happened to the tower. I mean, fortunately, the woman who had the uh, heart attack is in hospital recovering and, uh, requesting prayer at this time and uh, she is in fact doing better. Uh, the church said a portion of the towers structure was damaged during the rescue and so they had to close the path around the west side of the historic structure. Uh, they also asked parents, as I mentioned, if you've got small children or teenagers don't use that path according to the church, full metal guard fencing will hopefully be in place soon as the stone that will require refixing it weighs approximately a thousand pounds. And we want to make sure the area is as safe as possible. Um, Good news. Just very, very good news indeed. Sad news that somebody sustained a heart attack on the tower trying to watch something. But it does bring up a very, very interesting point about our priorities and our faith in Christ. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues.
3: Don't believe your insurance company is looking out for you. They're not. They want you to call them after you are in an accident, but you shouldn't handle that alone. That's where Stephanie Cover of Cover Law shines. With twenty years of insurance industry experience, she knows all the angles and will fight for your rights. Insurance companies pretend to be your partner, but in reality their primary goal is to pay you as little as possible. When you work with Cover Law, Stephanie becomes your negotiator, and the insurance companies must talk to her, not you you need to rest and heal. Stephanie is different from other attorneys. She's fully invested in your legal, medical, financial, emotional, and spiritual needs. After an accident, you don't want to deal with insurance adjusters who want to minimize your payout. So don't wait. Contact Cape Bright's personal injury attorney today at com slash coverlaw. You won't pay a dime to talk to someone who truly cares about your healing.
0: Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Uh, we are rejoicing along with uh, thousands of other people in the UK who were celebrating the crowning of King Charles a couple of weeks ago where a woman in Cornwall was climbing the tower at the Probus, Probus Parish Church. Uh, they opened up a tower that's really ancient and got a 1,100-pound stone uh, topping on it. Um, w- the woman got all the way to the top of the tower and felt a little faint. She sat down and immediately went into cardiac arrest. Fortunately, uh, a woman by the name of Eleanor McCartney, who's the church warden's wife, uh, said that they uh, um, were able to give her medical aid until uh, Medevac came in with the helicopter and they had to move a portion of one of the towers to land the helicopter. And uh, that's going to take a little bit to fix. It should be all squared away by now. But isn't it interesting how anxious this woman was to be a part of the coronation, to see some of what was happening as far as the king being so far off. And she wasn't physically fit for the journey. And when she got up to the top of the tower, I don't know how tall or large or whatever this woman was, but when she got to the top of the tower, she literally had a heart attack. It may have been the physical exertion or it may have also been just the fact that she was so... Out of breath, I mean, literally, it was a breathtaking moment to see the king that far away. Now, brothers and sisters, let's not forget the fact that we have seen the king of kings and lord of lords this close. Jesus Christ looks you in the eye, looks me in the eye, and asks you, who do you say that I am? And you say, you are my lord and my god, you're my savior, you're my reason for living. You're the breath in my lungs. You are. Your Holy Spirit has permeated every part of my life. Now, does that take your breath away? Isn't it interesting? It does take your human breath away, but it replaces it with a spiritual breath, the breath of the Holy Spirit that enables you and me to this newness of life that we have now, and for all eternity. Your eternity, your good news life forever with God doesn't start the minute you breathe your last here on earth. It starts the minute you breathe your first in him here on earth. You're living it right now. I don't want to sound like that pastor in Houston who says, you can live your best life now. Uh, It's not like that. It's way better than anything that guy can tell you about. The reality is we who love him and are called according to his purpose, have that eternal Holy Spirit breath in our lungs that enables us to climb the highest towers to see him, but not under human strength, under the Holy Spirit's power. By the way, if you are calling in for Shannon Bream's book, Mothers and Daughters of the Bible Speak, you got about 30 seconds left before we're cutting off the the giveaway here. 800 227 5278 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. For our KCBC audience, have a great and blessed weekend. Rabbi Schneider is coming up next. For those who remain on the network, more good news still to come as this Good News Friday edition of The Bottom Line continues. Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, heading into a holiday weekend, and so grateful that you've tuned in today to hear the good news of the gospel and also to hear some good news about what's happening in the culture. Now, please understand, please do not misunderstand. When it comes to the culture that we live in, Uh, We have a prayer in John 17 where Jesus prayed, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's about to be arrested, and he prays and asks the Lord, or asks his Heavenly Father to make sure that we are protected in this world, he doesn't call us out of this world. We are to live in the world but not be of the world. But we also sometimes can get a little crazy when it comes to the culture with regard to how we're to act in the culture. Uh, there are a lot of people in the body of Christ who are of the opinion. I was w- reading a guy who's a very, very well-known uh, blogger and uh, social media influencer. Christian guy, uh, African-American conservative. Just a, I, I really like his stuff. He uh, posted something on Instagram a couple weeks ago about how we have to do God's will and eliminate abortion from the earth. There would never be any more abortion. And I thought to myself, well, yeah, I love the idea of no longer killing innocent babies in the womb. I love the idea that uh, the United States would lead the way and the two plus million abortions of children every year would stop here in this nation. But then it would also result in other nations like Iceland not looking at abortion as a means to quote unquote ending uh, kids being born with birth defects. I mean... (laughs) That, what was it, CBS uh, did a 60 Minutes piece on Iceland a few years ago about how they've eliminated Down syndrome in Iceland. I was like, wow, that's incredible. What are they doing? Well, excellent prenatal care. Well, okay, fine. Then you dig a little deeper and find out that they were having every woman basically in Iceland go through an amniocentesis, and if they suspected that the child might have Down syndrome, they would recommend abortion. And they say, well, no, 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 we're not saying that every woman who has a, a child that's going to be born with Down syndrome have an abortion, but uh, you know, that's, that's in essence what they've done. And as the father of a bonus daughter with different needs, was born with intermittent, intermittent developmental delays, um, and knows that her mom had that same recommendation given about her 25 and a half years ago, um, almost 20, well, 26 now. Um, when you see my bonus daughter and you interact with her and things like that, I mean, everything they said would be a challenge for her isn't a challenge and the idea that she wouldn't be here, it's just, it's ridiculous. But that's what the abortion lobby does. I mean, I would love to see abortion eradicated from the earth because the conservative estimate is that there were 42 million children aborted last year worldwide. But here's the thing. Are we going to be able to stamp out evil to the point where the evil is no longer here with regard to abortion? And the answer is, as long as there is sin in the world, there is a savior who gives us the antidote for sin, but not everybody have received that antidote. And since they have it, then there's going to be sin. And it's Jesus with the parable of the wheat and the weeds and the wheat and the tares. I mean, the, the, the weeds that were sown in the garden in Jesus' parable. There's a guy who plants wheat, goes to sleep, wakes up the next morning, and his, um, and it turns out that his neighbor, his enemy, his rival, has sown weeds, as it were, in and among the wheat. And the weeds themselves aren't like horrible, toxic, nauseous, noxious weeds. They're, the the plant is actually referred to as a bearded darnell. It looks an awful light, lot like wheat, as they're both growing up side beside side by side. You wouldn't be able to tell the difference. It's only until they start to bloom, bud, and flower that you begin to see that one of them is the wheat that you want, and the other is the darnell that you don't. It's not edible. It's it's not a good plant. So when the workers ask the worker in Jesus' parable, should we go through and take out all the weeds? The landowner says, no, let them grow up side by side. We will harvest all of the crop together and then we will separate between the two. And so that being the case, I mean, this is a long preamble for I'm going to pat somebody on the back here for actually standing up against the culture. We have to take cultural battles, from where I sit, with a grain of salt, with a certain cognitive dissonance. On the one hand, do you stand up for biblical values in the public square? absolutely. We never back down from an opportunity to share our faith in Christ. And as Peter reminds us in 1 Peter 3.15, whenever anyone asks us for the reason for our hope, we give them an answer with gentleness and respect. Not screaming like everybody should know this. I don't expect people in the world to understand why we believe what we believe. There was a time, when the biblical worldview was the prevailing, dominant moral value system in the culture, but that isn't here anymore. I mean, the reason you're seeing more drag queen story hours and people you know, wanting to, I mean, the state of California has become a, a, an abortion destination state. I mean, the governor of the state actually goes out into states that have passed abortion restriction laws and says, come to California and kill your kid. You won't be prosecuted. If you're a minor and you're pregnant and you want to kill your kid, come to California and you won't be extradited. And same thing with gender, quote unquote, affirming care. If a boy wants to mutilate his body because he's been convinced that he's really a girl, if, you go in, if you're in the state of Texas, it's illegal. In the state of Florida, it's illegal to do so to have any sort of that surgery done on a minor. But in California, you can't even notify the parents as it's happening. So in a custody case like the, uh, it's the Younger family in Texas, um, where James Younger has his mother who's just completely lost her mind. She's a pediatrician, of all things, and I'm glad she's not practicing pediatrics anymore because good God. But nonetheless, she's decided that the two twins that they had either conceived by a surrogate or IVF or whatever, they're not even her biological children. She's divorced their father. She has all the best LGBTQ activist lawyers on her behalf. She has relocated to California, now has both of her twin sons living with her and she is bound and determined to turn one of her boys, James, I believe is his name, his given name, into a girl called Luna. And California is okay with that. California is championing championing that. I mean, it, championing, championing. <laughs> I can't even say it today, I'm so upset. But I told you this was a Good News Friday story. So as Christians, do we stand up for biblical values? Absolutely. Do we do so with gentleness and respect? Absolutely. Do we expect that the culture is all going to be, you know, we're going to eliminate abortion, we're going to get rid of LGBTQ? We're not. This side of Jesus returning, we are not going to completely eliminate it. All we can do is what we can do. In the case of our friends at Preborn, for example, uh, when you make a donation to Preborn and you donate $28, that provides an ultrasound uh, visit for a woman who's expecting a child. If she were to go to an abortion clinic, she would not get an ultrasound. They would charge her for her pregnancy test and then tell her her only option, well, you know, I mean, if you're single, or even if you're a mom, you got a couple of kids, and well, you know, if you're not ready to be a mother, you know, we can schedule your abortion for tomorrow or whatever, or we could give you Mephepristone, and that'll start the ball rolling on basically starving your child to death. We'll give you a medical abortion. We'll give you abortion care. That's what they'll hear at an abortion clinic. At a preborn clinic, what that same mother will hear is, okay, you think you're pregnant? We're great, so happy for you. Let's run a pregnancy test. We won't charge you for it. And then let's do an ultrasound and you'll get to see the image of how far along this, if it, the pregnancy test confirms you're pregnant, we will then show you how far along you are in your pregnancy, and then we'll tell you what your options are, plural. All three of them. Nearly 50% of women post-abortive have said in survey after survey after survey, if they had known that adoption was an option for them, they would not have killed their child in the womb. They went to an abortion clinic, and here's what they were told you're pregnant, you're either gonna have to be a mother and raise this child all by yourself and you're not gonna get any help, it's gonna be a drain on society, it's just gonna be horrible and a nightmare for you, or we can provide you with abortive care that will make your situation so much better. Now, if you were a scared 19, 20 year old woman and your boyfriend's telling you I'm leaving you if you don't get rid of this problem and your parents are telling you you can't live at home if you can't get rid of this problem, And your boss is telling you, hey, our insurance isn't going to cover this problem. What decision are you going to make if the only counsel you're getting is we can make your problem go away? Remember, the abortion clinics are the ones who have determined in collusion with the FDA, Food and Drug Administration, not the Federal Drug Administration, as our vice president mentioned about a month ago. But the FDA has decided that pregnancy is an illness. And mifepristone and its uh, cohort are basically the cures for the illness. When you make a donation to preborn women get the truth. The truth is, we'll find out if you're pregnant or not. A lot of women are prescribed per- abortion medication just in case they might be pregnant. And then, what happens after that is truly miraculous because she gets to see the ultrasound. An abortion clinic will never show you the ultrasound and they'll tell you because it's too traumatic for you. Well, it's traumatic for you when you see your baby wiggling around in there with his father's nose and his mother's chin looking very much like a baby at 10 weeks and them saying, oh no 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 we're going to get rid of the fetal tissue are you kidding i've seen ultrasound images of my grandkids early early on and it is amazing my daughter emily went in for her ultrasound i think she was about eight to ten weeks and the technician looked at me and said em and brian didn't want to know if isaac was a boy or not i mean they they wanted to know he was a boy or he was a girl uh, but Brian, my son-in-law, wanted to be surprised. So the technician looked at me and she mouthed, it's a boy. And then she told me, I've been doing this for eight years. I've never been wrong. And she wasn't wrong in the case of my grandson. She knew at 10 weeks of gestation that my grandson was my grandson. Okay. preborn clinics make that happen by telling the truth about pregnancy. They tell women what the three options are you're either going to be a mother, you're going to release that child for adoption, or you can have a legal abortion. And 85% of the women who go to pre-born clinics, well, they choose life for their child, either through abortion or through uh, birth or adoption. Um, 833-850-BABY is the number to call. Or if you go to uh, rogermarsh.com, you can see a, a link for preborn. Uh, I really just feel compelled to share that good news with you today because there is a, a young mom right now, or maybe an older mom who's got three or four kids it says can i handle a fifth who is thinking about going to an abortion clinic right now and we've got to get the news to her that a preborn clinic will give her the tools that she needs. They'll tell her the truth about her pregnancy and then what her options are. If she chooses to put, place that child up for adoption, they'll get her connected with the prenatal care that she needs, with finding an adoptive family, which means you have to go through kind of a legal thing with the adoption process. They'll spell all of that out for you, and it starts with a $28 donation to Preborn to give her a free ultrasound so she knows exactly what she's dealing with. Or if God has blessed you and you're in a situation where you say, hey, I'd like to donate the entire machine, that's a $15,000 one-time gift, but I'll tell you what, it is, it's ta- completely tax-deductible. That machine will perform 250 ultrasounds per year for at least 10 years. 833-850-BABY is the number to call, 833-850-2229, or go to rogermarsh.com, click on the banner for pre-born. Okay, good news Friday. We're going to kick things off on the other side of this break with a teacher in a school district in Georgia that had an objection to a children's book which depicted a same-sex couple. And the teacher complained and wound up getting fired and next thing you know, had to go to court to get her job back. What is going to happen with this woman who says, as a mother, as a private citizen, and as a Christian, I had to speak out. She's even a substitute. Couldn't she just find another job? Well. Um, we'll get into this book and this court case coming up next as the bottom line continues. Make your best donation right now. $50, $100. Maybe you want to give $15,000. It's completely tax deductible. We've had a couple of bottom line listeners step up and do just that. 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn right now. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Good news out of the great state of Georgia, where Bryan County Schools has been ordered to pay some money, to a woman whose crime, quote unquote, was um, (laughs) telling the truth about biblical marriage. Lindsay Barr was working as a substitute teacher in Bryan County Schools. And during her time as a a substitute at one of the schools in the district, she came across a book called All Are Welcome. She was substituting at McAllister Elementary School. And the book All Are Welcome looks like I mean I'll be honest with you it looks like a lot of television today there were multiple illustrations of same-sex couples and of course in the same-sex couple description they're always perfect and right and whatever we heard the uh, department of transportation secretary Pete Buttigieg saying you know my husband and I uh we we like the idea that kids can come back after a weekend and they all sit around and when the teacher's asking them what they did during the weekend I want them to say well my dad's and I went to the zoo or whatever and I'm thinking wait a minute okay now I'm old school but when do kindergartners sit around and talk with their teacher about what they did at home over the weekend? I mean, when we came to school, it was good. Let's see. I remember my first grade teacher was Mrs. Smith, my second grade teacher was Mrs. Forkner, my third grade teacher was Miss Carpenter. Ooh, all the boys had a crush on Miss Carpenter. And then she got married halfway through the year, and well, that's a whole other story. But basically, I can remember how many times my teacher asked me what was going on at home, and it was exactly none. This whole touchy-feely, hey, you're a teacher and you're a therapist, and no wonder teachers are burning out. No wonder They have all these extra assignments they have to do, and my goodness, I mean, I realize teachers here in the People's Republic make a lot more than they do in other parts of the country, but good golly. Anyway, Lindsay Barr, substitute teacher at McAllister Elementary School in the Bryan County Schools in Georgia discovers this book called all are welcome it's got lots of pictures of same-sex couples and basically it was being read as part of a school library read aloud program last august for those who are uh, listening online and you're saying wait what do you mean august most schools go back in august i think it's places like california where they wait till you know uh, september and whatnot so basically she went to the principal and said hey uh, I think I have a concern about this book in the Read Aloud program. Uh, McAllister Elementary School principal Heather Tucker responded by saying, I'm sorry you have a problem with the book. You're fired. You're fired? You're deeply and sincerely held religious beliefs, freedom of speech, and saying, wait a minute, okay, what you're doing here is you're, this is a read. let's read the book aloud, and we're telling everybody that same-sex marriage, quote-unquote, is okay. Now, Lindsay Bryant, or excuse me, Lindsay uh, uh, Barr is saying, wait a minute, I'm a Christian and I don't believe this is right. I don't believe this is fair. I, you know, this is, it's patently unfair. Unfair. Now I know there are some people in same-sex relationships who are saying, hey, it's about time we got depicted there. But uh, imagine if you will, and I've seen this argument uh, uh, given many times, imagine if you will, if all are welcome included a Christian couple, husband and wife, and part of their, you know, what'd you do this weekend? We went to church. We worshiped God. We, we, we read Bible verses, and we went to Sunday school, and we sang in the choir, and then our church had a picnic afterwards. And we got together, well, picnic's kind of a troublesome concept. That's for another time. And then we went to a homeless shelter, and we handed out food and clothes. Can you imagine the uproar from the left? Why are you depicting religion like this? You're normalizing it. You're proselytizing the kid. Okay, if the Christian family being presented as a this is a good thing in the culture is supposedly a bad thing, that don't you think that the proposition here, all are welcome, showing a lot of same-sex couples in the same way television. Can you watch a TV commercial anymore that does not include at least one gay couple with supernatural powers? I mean, seriously, never. Back in the day. If you saw somebody who was gay, chances are the person was dealing with HIV. That's all we got, you know, forced on us in the media then. Oh, Joe has AIDS, and look how skinny he is. Well, that wasn't fair either. Not all gay people got AIDS. But a Christian woman objects in a public school library saying, hey, you are proselytizing these kids, showing them this. So she got fired. She contacted her friends at Alliance Defending Freedom. Uh, ADF Senior Counsel Philip A. Seckler issued this statement. As she filed it, she said, she spoke out as a Christian, a mother, and a private citizen on an important issue, namely the content and age appropriateness of a picture book that the school planned to read to her kids and other elementary-aged children that conflicted with her family's values and faith. Now, let's take this for a moment and ask the question, why would a woman like this object to this? If these are high school students, if they're college-age students, you know, it's one thing. If they're elementary, if they're kindergarten, five years old, the normalization of the quote unquote same sex couple. Five year old kids are just figuring out the boys and girls are different, and the culture is determined to hypersexualize them. And it's not just the look at the scantily clad woman on TikTok, the social media influencer, it's the let's force homosexuality and transgenderism on five year olds. So the school district basically was faced with a lawsuit with regard to this book and the fact that a substitute teacher expressed concern to the school's principal and instead of having a meaningful and thoughtful and respectful dialogue with her, Heather Tucker, the principal of McAllister Elementary School, simply fired Lindsay Barr. Full full stop. So there was a lawsuit, wrongful termination suit, that mentioned Heather Tucker, the Bryan County Schools Human Resources Director, Debbie McNeil, and the Assistant Superintendent of Teaching and Learning, Trey Robertson, as defendants. The complaint argued that Lindsay Barr's termination violated her freedom of speech and her freedom of religion and constituted viewpoint discrimination based on a religious belief. She did not even have the right to express her opposition to this book. No further action was taken with regard to her complaint other than the school district saying, you're fired. Now, it's interesting because according to um, the settlement, uh, they said the defendant's firing of Lindsey Barr, Barr was neither neutral nor generally applicable, but was hostile and targeted directly at the content of her religious beliefs. Under the defendant's policies and practices, Lindsey Barr is not allowed to serve as a substitute teacher because of her views on marriage, family, and the appropriateness of public elementary school reading her young children a picture book with drawings of same sex couples embracing, parenting, and actually pregnant. Now, that might be a little confusing to a five-year-old, wouldn't it, to show two women and saying they're married and one of them's pregnant because that is not biologically possible. There had to be some sort of artificial insemination or maybe there was a, a relationship with a man that produced the baby and these two women are calling that baby theirs. But that ain't science. It's a societal construct, of course. Now, here's the reason why this got a little interesting for the school district. Because the school had gotten so used to saying, hey, look, we're the educators. We know more than you do. We all have master's degrees and PhDs and and we're smarter than you are. But guess what? Uh, In April of 2022, Georgia lawmakers passed a parent's bill of rights. Very similar to what Ron DeSantis signed into law in Florida a couple months earlier. Among other things, the Parents' Bill of Rights in Georgia allows parents to review school curriculum content and opt their child in or out of sex education. So you can't just fire a teacher who's also a parent who says, I object to this. So how did the case turn out? We've got good news for you on this Good News Friday. We'll share it with you coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Good news out of the great state of Georgia, where Bryant County Schools has agreed to pay attorney's fees and damages to Lindsey Barr, Formerly a substitute teacher of Bryan County Schools, she was substituting at McAllister Elementary uh, in August of 22 and was fired for approaching the principal and saying, look, I found this picture book. It's called All Are Welcome. It includes all sorts of different people from all different backgrounds, but there are a lot of pictures of same-sex couples showing them as quote-unquote married, showing them as expecting kids, showing them as raising children. And she said, I'm complaining about this, I'm objecting to this because I'm a Christian, because I don't believe the Bible supports this. And the response she got from the school's principal was, you're fired. So she sued the principal and the uh, district superintendent of whatever. And next thing you know, okay, the Bryan County Schools Human Resources Director and the Assistant Superintendent of Teaching and Learning for the school district were uh, brought up in the lawsuit as well. Um, Here's the statement from Bryan County's Superintendent Uh, Bryan County School Superintendent Paul Brookshire, who wrote a letter to Lindsey Barr announcing her reinstatement. Remember, Georgia lawmakers passed a parent's bill of rights in April of 2022. So Mrs. Barr thought, hey, I've I've got rights as a parent, but also as a teacher, and I'm gonna complain. And the school district said, you're fired. Uh, Now the court has ordered them to pay $181,000 in legal fees and to reinstate Lindsey Barr as a substitute teacher. So here's what Bryan County School Superintendent Paul Brookshire wrote in the letter announcing her reinstatement, quote, upon returning, we encourage you as a parent to raise concerns about material being taught to your children. Raising such concerns does not preclude employment in our district. For the future, we are focused on the value you add for children across the district as a substitute teacher, and we sincerely regret that your separation from the school district caused any distress. Um, Fine, okay. Uh, In the ruling, the 20th Judicial Circuit of Virginia wound up with the case um, of uh, Brian Tanner Cross, remember him in Loudoun County, and said that when he was placed on leave, it was an unconstitutional action and adversely affected his constitutionally protected speech because the teacher's words were permissible in public form. That was used as a precedent in the case of Lindsey Barr. So good news for our friends at Alliance Defending Freedom. And by the way, if you want to support them, I highly recommend you do. We're encouraging bottom line listeners all over the country uh, to pony up $50 a month. If we could get 40 bottom line listeners to make a donation to Alliance Defending Freedom, $50 a month, 40 of us together. It's gonna help a case like a mom, like Lindsay Barr, a wife, a mother, Christian woman who also was a substitute teacher in public schools. God bless her for uh, going into that snake pit. Um, you can go to crawfordmediagroup.net, and that's crawfordmediagroup.net. Click on the banner for Alliance Defending Freedom and make your best donation there. The good news of the gospel, presented with gentleness and respect under the power of the Holy Spirit will change hearts and minds and subsequently lives. That is good news, and that's the bottom line.